Welcome back to Life in the Whirlwind podcast. Today, this is episode number nine, and it is called Different Ways of Seeing. My name's Heather Drew, by the way. Um, Just a little reminder that if you're listening to this on iTunes, the website for this podcast and the project in general is www.lifeinthewhirlwind.com. And it might be interesting. If you find this podcast interesting, you'll probably find a lot of the other stuff on the website interesting. It's also a chance to uh, email, make comments, um, read some other things that I do, etc and uh, my bio and things like that. So anyway, check it out if you want to, if you feel like uh, going a little deeper. So yeah, today's episode nine, and it's called Different Ways of Seeing. What inspired this podcast episode today is uh, an experience that I had in college. I took an art history class in my senior year for my art credit, Um, it was, or maybe it was even a history credit, (laughs) who knows? I don't particularly love history except how it applies to, uh, people's stories. So, which is, that's silly to say that it doesn't, but anyway, um, let's say I didn't excel in that class, that subject particularly. And, um, I was taking this art history class in college, which I actually totally and utterly loved. Uh, It was one of the best classes I took in college. Um, The guy who taught it was obsessed with art and the connections between pieces and artists of certain time periods. It was amazing. And it was like a three and a half hour class on a Tuesday night or something. So it had to have caught your attention to be a good experience. So this, this art history, in this art history class, I, um, I remember a lot of it, but the thing that I remember the most is there was um, this one night where we studied these two particular paintings. They were done by different artists, and one was Caravaggio and one was Rembrandt, two pretty famous artists, Um, and they were the same event, right? So, um, it was called Dinner at Emmaus. So, if you are a, um, a Bible fan, you might be familiar with that story of when Jesus was, uh, had risen from the dead and he was walking along the road with his friends and they did not know who he was. They, he seemed different maybe doesn't really tell us why they didn't recognize him. But at a moment, um, a particular moment, they actually realize that it's him based on what he has said. So, and it's, it's as if their eyes were opened, right? I'm like giving away the punchline right out of the gate, people. (laughs) Different ways of seeing. We're talking about different ways of seeing. So in this, in these two particular paintings, there's one again, done by Caravaggio and um, one by Rembrandt. And they're really different paintings. They look completely different. And one, so 
it would be easy to look at this and say, oh yeah, you know, it's just different styles and it's different painters. And so they'd see different things. Sure. That's all true. Uh, I just really specifically remember my teacher saying that um, he they were both depicting different ways of seeing. So when I post this, this is another good reason to visit the website here because I'm going to post the two paintings, pictures of the two paintings, so you can see the differences. Lifeinthewhirlwind.com slash podcast. And um, this is episode nine, so you can check it out, see what you think. But it's really interesting because, um, do it later though, because I want you to listen to this. This is good stuff and I want you to be present. <laughs> I'm a little, I'm being selfish, but I'm also caring about you. Um, but anyway, so these, these two different ways of seeing, I just remember it striking me really profoundly. And since then, I remember, I've had significant um, wrestlings with this concept of like vision and how we see and things like that. And I've come back to these two paintings quite a bit in my mind. I could go into a lot of detail about this. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because I've had conversations like this with you about these paintings. So um, I won't go into detail here because I have more things to say on uh, different ways of seeing, but that's a good intro, right? Okay. So one of the things that I kind of learned from this these paintings and my processing of them and my own experience with this topic in general of seeing is that we tend to only see what we are looking for. If your way of seeing isn't aligned to the particular thing that it is that you're looking for, you probably won't find it. Um, I don't know if this is, <laughs> I'm going to out my husband a little bit. Sorry, Alan. He is, we have this joke in our house that he's not particularly good at finding things. He'll be looking for something and staring at it basically, but he's imagining it looks different. And so he just doesn't see it. But this is a perfect example. It's this sort of, um, if your own, you know, if your way of seeing isn't lined up with what you're looking for, you're not going to find the thing you're looking for. So it's, um, it's kind of to say, if we can't see something, it's not really the existence of the thing or the thing itself that has to change. Like, you know, if my husband's looking for his water bottle, his water bottle doesn't need to change for him to find it. He needs to have a different vision, right? It's my way of seeing that will change, that will enable me to see deep stuff. So let's go deeper into that. Let's talk about focus points. When we talk about focus points, this this is something I've been thinking about um, recently. Um, I've been thinking about desires and I've been thinking about things that we focus on and things that we pay attention to, um, particularly because I'm growing in awareness of what I pay attention to. And as I call you to do the same, I call myself to this and just what I'm paying attention to. So I was thinking about advertisements. I was thinking about how advertisements really appeal to our focus points in life and that whatever it is we're focused on 
as the thing that will deliver us satisfaction or closure or happiness or even contentment, uh, whatever that is, fill in the blank for yourself. That is our focus point. And so advertisements totally appeal to this. They appeal, we look for these things that we expect to satisfy us and advertisements tell us that, you know, this business has the thing that we're looking for. And I think if we're really, if, so think about a billboard or something like that and you kind of, it gets your attention or you see an advertisement, it gets your attention or you see a flyer, it gets your attention. It appeals to something that you desire. And I wanted to focus particularly here on how focus points are really about our desired outcome. Maybe it's a temporary desired outcome. Maybe it's something that I want to happen in the next week or by the end of the day. Maybe it's temporary. Or maybe it's something like, I'll be a good therapist if. I'll be a good mail delivery person if. I will be a good teacher if. And so whatever it is that you fill the blank with in that sentence whatever your vocation is and whatever you spend your time on and however you fill in that blank at the end, that's your desired outcome. That's something that you want and that you have as a focus point. These are not bad things. Desires, um, dreams, hopes, these are not bad things at all. So this is, please acknowledge with me that I'm walking a line here. So, you know, we could easily like fall off the other side of the line and be like, wow, Heather's really saying that all desires are bad (laughs) and that I should just quench my desires. That's not what I'm saying. We are made to desire. We are made to crave, to be interested in, to be curious, to be desiring all kinds of things. Um, It's our job to pay attention to what we are desiring. That's what I'm arguing a little bit here. But I do think, on the other hand, on the so walking this line, desires are beautiful, they are good, um, and on the other side of that line is that sometimes we get so attached to a desired outcome that it becomes for us like it's this thing that creates tunnel vision. So things that are good in excess often become things that hinder us. So tunnel vision, let's talk about that. Cause what we're talking about is vision, right? It's ways of seeing. So when we're able to release a desired outcome, um, so, you know, like eyes on the prize is a really, po- really popular phrase. It's like you get your eyes on something and you're like, I am going to have this. I am going to make this happen for myself. And again, we're just always walking this line. Is it good? Probably. Is it good to pursue things wholeheartedly? Yeah, totally. Um, But again, when when you cross over this space of like it becomes this fixation where your blinders get put on, it's, it becomes an unhealthy attachment to this desired outcome. 
On the other hand, when we're able to release that desired outcome that we're sort of we sort of become obsessed with or that we're really fixated on, when we release that, we actually are able to remove these blinders or we don't so much remove them. They are removed when we do this, when we release the desired outcome. And that, you know, these, these blinders deeply limit us. That's the part that it's almost like this, you know, extra layer of blindness. We don't, we're, we have these blinders on and we're so focused on the, the desired outcome that we don't even realize we have limited vision. And when we release that, it actually allows room for what already is and what will be. So it's like releasing this attachment. We have this new vision and the blinders are removed. We have this like panorama that opens up in front of us. It's a really different thing. If you were to literally walk down the street and hold your hands up to your eyes on the sides of your faces um, and you're walking, you're going to like not see a ton of things. And it's a, an interesting, you know, here and now experiment. But just keep thinking about this. Keep chewing on this idea of blinders versus panorama. And that brings us to the nerdiest part of our episode today. <laughs> I am a, I'm a nerd at heart and I love nerds. Um, this, so I also heard recently in an audio book that I was listening to, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Peter Rollins, who's an author, fabulous, interesting, incredibly intelligent, brilliant, wise human being anthropologist, philosopher, theologian, etc. Anyway, he's an amazing person. But um, I think I was listening to a book by him and he was talking about this, this uh, topic of parallax. And he was talking about parallax being, so th this is the definition of parallax. I looked it up on the interwebs. It says the effect parallax is the effect whereby the position or direction of an object appears to differ when viewed from different positions. So something with parallax, basically, here are some examples. Maybe something looks different from different angles or positions, right? Like you can stand in one part of your living room and see certain things, and then you can move to a different part of your living room and see different things. Um, Another example of this might be when you stare at something. This just happened to me the other day. It was funny. Um, I haven't had this experience quite so jarringly until the other day. It's like the first time I've seen this happen in a while. But when you stare at something that's like really, really bright um, and there's a lot of contrast and then you close your eyes, you see the photo negative of whatever you were just looking at. So like everything that was light is dark now. That's another example maybe of parallax. Another example is, um, and this is the one that Peter Rollins was talking about as an example in his book, but he, he was saying, you know, light, when you look at it a certain way, is a particle. Scientists, that is, like we don't see light as a particle. <laughs> but if you look at it a different way, it's a wave. So how can it be both things at once? That sounds like last episode, doesn't it? 
light is can be in two places at once. That's actually true. But um, you know, here's that's another example. Here's the other example. This is for those who love the moon. <laughs> There's a great book that my kids love called Owl at Home. And he's just Owl is like it's Arnold Lobel. He's this hilarious kids writer. Anyway, the the owl is kind of neurotic and um he's got some neuroses going on. That's cool. He's very endearing, but he always believes that the moon is following him. Um, so that's another example of parallax, right? Like, have you ever been driving in your car and you're looking at the moon and it's not moving? Obviously it's so far away that everything that's close to you is whizzing by and the moon is staying put. This is another example of parallax, right? It's this effect where the position or the direction of something appears to differ when viewed from different positions. Okay. So parallax is really what was happening in these paintings in my art history class in college. It was this, these two views, one where Jesus is sitting at a table with two of his best friends and there's a person serving food in one and Jesus is really lit up like he just looks like you would picture on the wall of a cathedral or something you know like almost like a halo style Jesus very western Jesus by the way just to warn you and then the other one the Caravaggio one that was the Rembrandt one the Caravaggio one is very muted and it's very gritty and um it doesn't look like you know, there's anything particularly special going on other than just a meal. And so when my teacher explained this, you know, he's like, this is coming from different perspectives of what's going on at this table. It's just different ways of seeing. And this, the, again, this story has so many layers, whether you believe you know, whatever it is that you believe about Jesus. I know I have a varied audience here of listeners uh, with various convictions about things, um, spiritual, but whatever it is you believe about Jesus, this is this very interesting story in the Bible. So it's worth checking out maybe. I'm also going to talk about the Bible in about three minutes again, just to warn you. Okay. Here's a, here's a way of, here's some other ways of talking about different ways of seeing. And again, this is appealing to a various audience because I know there's so many of you out there who just are, you know, we're all coming from different places. So let's just use different words for it. One word for it is enlightenment. When something is revealed to you that you did not understand before, we call that enlightened, right? Like I am enlightened now, or you say, you know, if somebody knows something that you don't, you kind of joke around maybe and say, oh, please enlighten me. Maybe it's a joke, but hopefully you're serious, but you know, it's, you're ready to see something that you weren't ready to see before or everything leading up to this point in your life has led you to now be able to see this thing. That's enlightenment as we call it. Here's another example of um, different ways of seeing. I'm just using different examples and words and things like that so that I can appeal to all these different people. So another example is um, I'm going to bring Alan back. I'm going to redeem my poor husband who I just 
outed about his inability to see things. Um, so for example, I knew my husband as a friend for about three years before I started dating him. I completely did not consider him a dating option for a long time and vice versa. We call each, we usually tell people we are mutually unimpressed with one another, but we were friends and, uh, he lived with a friend of mine and we saw each other all the time. We volunteered for the same nonprofit and one day we had lunch about something about the organization we work for. And it was like literally in a matter of minutes, it was like lights came on. And I was like, who's this person? This is not Dallin that I've known up until this point. Did he change? No, he did not change. He was the same person that he was 12 minutes ago when I was completely uninterested in him. But something happened. Something was awakened in me. Something, I just saw something different. So that's another example. I don't want to get all mushy here on the podcast, but it's a kind of cool story. It's a sweet story. The rest is history. Um, 13 years later. Anyway, so the third example I want to give, I told you I'd come back to the Bible. It's been about three minutes. Here I go. I really, I love the Bible. Like I'm, I just, I love it. So I will talk about it occasionally. In the stories of Jesus, there is, um, this is also after his resurrection from the dead in the Bible. Um, this is particular, this particular story is in John 20. I've been hanging out in this section of the Bible in my personal life for about two months or three months for lots of reasons. But anyway, so it's right after Jesus has risen from the dead and, um, his friends are freaking out. Like they cannot find him. They don't understand if they don't know if he's been taken by his enemies, by people who killed him, by people who are trying to hide his body, whatever it is. They have no idea what's going on. And they, he's not where he was buried. And there's like a bunch of, you know, wrapped, unwrapped cloth on the floor, basically. And he's not there. So one of my favorite people who loved Jesus very well, very much, and I kind of have a lot of empathy for in the Bible, is Mary. Um, Not his mother, but his friend Mary. And um, she's standing there in the garden outside of his, his burial area. And she's looking for him, and she's crying. It talks about her weeping and feeling total distress. Like, where is this person that I care about. Imagine this, like you imagine like your closest friend has died, has been killed by the government and you watch it happen. And then you watch him be buried and you go back to sort of like visit the gravestone and it's, you know, all dug up and like he's gone. It's just so bizarre. It's otherworldly. It's so bizarre. And in this position that she's in, she's looking around and she sees a man and she says, do you know where they've put this person? And it's him. But she sees him and she thinks he's the gardener. And he says her name. He just says, Mary. And it's like the lights come on. She just gets it. She's like, oh my gosh, it's you. It's her. It's him. Because it's the same concept as before. It's this concept of you know, if we can't 
if we're looking for something, like if my way of seeing is not aligned with the particular thing that I'm looking for, I'm not going to see it. It's my way of seeing that changes that enables me to see what I'm looking for. And it's the same with Mary. It's like she wasn't seeing him because she wasn't looking for like a walking around Jesus. She was looking for a dead Jesus maybe. I don't know what it was. Who knows? Just another example of this. So what can we do to see differently? I'm winding to the I'm winding around to the practicality stuff here. Great stories that fuel our desires and um, motivation here. But what are we going to do about it? So what can we do to see differently? One thing we can do to see differently is to lower our defenses. One of the things I think blocks vision the most is defensiveness. When we're having a conversation with someone that we disagree with or have disagreed with in the past, I think it's especially bad at that in that scenario where we've disagreed in the past and you're just kind of going in like, oh yeah, we're going to totally disagree on this. I'm just ready to fight. That is going to make you see things a very particular way. I'm super guilty of this. Some of you are listening to this and you're smiling because you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm very guilty of this at times. But lowering your defenses, going in kind of with an open posture, if if at all, but like as much as possible. I know that's not totally possible. We're human beings. But what does it look like to lower your defenses with certain people or scenarios that you're in? A second one is practical non-attachment to specific outcomes. I think I've talked about this before. It's going to sound familiar to a lot of you, I think. But this idea of having expectations, like you're, it's that tunnel vision. It's like you're looking for a specific thing to happen. And because you're looking for that thing, you have no, you, you see nothing else. There's just nothing else. Um, yeah, this happens a lot. I don't know. I'm trying to, I've given you plenty of examples. You, I'm sure you can think of some for yourself. But um, what would it be like to give yourself and give your own mind and desires maybe a little bit less power over your life and your actions or your behaviors or your attitudes or whatever it is. What would it be like to give yourself and your mind and desires a little less power? Because I think, honestly, I really believe this. I I feel very strongly convicted about this. Only in the release of certainty, this like felt need for certainty, can we really experience what we're actually surrounded by, what we've actually been given, and we get to experience what is there. And it totally expands our vision. It expands the way we see the world, the way we see ourselves, the way we see other people. And I think that's a good thing. I'm using a label. That's how strongly I feel about this that I think that is a good thing. I think it's, it's, um, it expands our consciousness and it develops us as human beings. It makes us more developed. So how does one do this? How do we start this process? Again, it always starts with noticing. It always starts with our attention. So notice your desired outcome. Where do you want to feel certain? 
that something's going to happen or what is it that you want to happen so badly and give it your ear. Just listen to it, like write it out, write it out, whatever it's saying, like whatever the chatter is in your mind that you're thinking about. But know the difference between observing your desired outcome and engaging your desired outcome. When you're an observer, you're noticing and then it kind of floats away to some degree. You kind of release it. And when you engage it, you that's when you put the blinders on and you start marching in one direction and you miss everything else. So just consider this. It causes a lot of unnecessary suffering to engage in the observation, like this desired outcome situation. It takes, it, it causes a lot of unnecessary suffering, I think. So that brings us to our invitation. What are you hearing here that's moving you in a particular way? I don't know if you understand that about yourself. If you're, you know, the kind of person that you can tell when you're being stirred. I'm sure you are. You're listening to this podcast. I'm sure you're one of those people who knows when you're being stirred. What are you hearing today that's stirring you? And how can you choose one thing that you're going to go ahead and do something about? Just choose one thing from like whatever comes up for you right now. And go do it. Just go try it. My blessing, my dear friends, my dear lifers in the whirlwind, may you find the gift of what you are and what you're becoming and in the practice of releasing what you desire so badly that it burns and it's too much, quote unquote, too much desire in the wrong direction or with blinders, may you, in that practice of releasing that, see that you already have everything you need for today, for the week, for the month, for life. I would argue you already have everything you need and you already are all the things that you're becoming. It's just kind of locked away. So open the locks, check it out, see what's going on in there. As soon as I'm done talking here, I'm going to play a song for you guys called I Shall Not Want. It's written by a woman named Audrey Assad. Her father happens to be a Syrian immigrant, place that I care a lot about and have, you know, that place is such a torn area right now. Um, I wanted to play this because it fits very well with this and I hope you can listen to the words. Um, and I hope you enjoy it and I cannot wait to connect with you again next week take very good care from the love of my own comfort from the fear of having nothing from a life of Deliver
Yeah.